Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and back by popular demand, my, my old sidekick, Jennifer Ross. Hey, my mother call you. Is that who the popular demand was? No. Okay. No. So I have about, oh, almost 150 podcasts now. Do you really? Yes. You've been busy. And you were part of like the first third of them, and people who are now coming to the new podcast are going back to the old podcasts, and they're like, these women are hilarious. Where is Jennifer Ross? Oh, aren't you um, sweet? Well, yes. thank you. Yeah, so uh, I'm bringing you back. It, you know, whenever you're available. So Jennifer's very busy, but we love her so much. And uh, She lies when, well. <laughs> whenever, whenever you're available to jump in on the really juicy ones, like today's podcast. Oh, this is a great story. This yeah. guy was a lunatic. Yes. We'll get to him in a minute. Right. right, because I think our second or third podcast was 101 Ways to Get Rid of a Body. It's one of our top five podcasts. Is it really? Believe it or not. That's kind of scary. I know. That means that the Are listen- the people really thinking about how to get rid of a body? I think so. These podcast listeners, you guys that listen to us, want to know how to get rid of a body. And we gave a lot of very good examples. Right. right way back right, right. when, a couple years ago when we started. But you... <laughs> what do you mean me? You... <laughs> She lives, you live up north in uh, in Martin County, in the woods, and she probably has bodies buried in her backyard, but you came up with a new and really good way to get rid of a body. Well, I had talked to a a number of my friends, and and these are people that, you know, maybe have buried bodies in the past. I have no idea. I'm teasing. Uh, When you live with the last maiden name of Gotti, people naturally assume that you know something about getting rid of bodies. So therefore... Uh, if you're going to get rid of a body, the first thing I tell you to do is don't plant it anywhere near your house. And okay. Don't go <laughs> and don't go like to the neighbor's yard. You got to go someplace that you're unfamiliar with. But, however, you have to be familiar with the place before you go there. Don't use your car. They got GPS systems on them. They can figure that out. So you got to go maybe go rent a car. Or use a friend's car. And don't use a green pen to sign the rental agreement. That got a woman I've, on forensic files. A green pen? She didn't use her own name, but she used a green pen that she had. It was the same ink. You know, a lot of people... Who's, who's named Gotti? Who? Mine. The, what? I got a Gotti. I got all kinds of Gottis in my family. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Let's, let's keep going, okay? We kind of like bury that one. Anyway, because well, I told my neighbor who's been giving me grief for years, I said, you do know my maiden name's Gotti, don't you? And he looked at me and he went, what, like Gotti? I said, yeah, like Uncle John? You want to leave me alone? I said, you know, we still know people. He hasn't bothered me since. Ah. So it worked out well. Got it. Anyway, so what you do is first you're going to go to a place that you're familiar with, but not like your backyard. When you bury the body, okay, first you should cut up in pieces, but that's kind of hard to do. Well, freeze it and wood chip it. It's much easier. Well, that's a lot easier, too. But if you're going to have the whole body, don't bury it horizontally. you got to bury it vertically. What? What do you mean? Like standing up in the ground? Yeah, because that way. you got to get a post digger? listen to what you do. Yeah, you're going to have to. (laughs) Big one. It's kind of hard, and it's kind of a lot of work. But that way, when they do the scan, when they're looking for bones and stuff, it's not like a big trail of bones, like, you know, seven feet long they got to find the top of the head now here's where you get you get even you put lime and lye or whatever it is that you can get your hands on on top of the body okay then you bury it and then on top of that put an exotic plant that no one can touch (laughs) you mean something like poison ivy or no like a plant that's like exotic that you know that's like one in a million 
You gotta go find the plant. I can't tell you exactly. Oh, like that cadaver flower oh, that smells like a dead you, elephant. Well, no, you don't want that because then they're gonna go look for the dead body when they smell no, the it's flower. The, it's the flower. <laughs> it's the flower. But you gotta put some kind of plant there that that's kind of exotic that people aren't gonna go. I want to dig that up because uh, it's such an exotic plant. Got it. So that works. Either that or try to do what the guy did here a couple of weeks ago and feed it to the alligators and then, then that's the, right. They found the guy. I know. So the biologist is out wow. there in the swamp and she sees a gator with an human arm, <laughs> human arm in it is it terrible that i, that I why do we laugh at these things I now we're so- googled it to see if that knew the body <laughs> oh my god do i know these people <laughs> well no they took the fingerprint from the body Isn't that amazing? and figured out who it was and then they found the rest of him in a shallow grave you've had a couple of good ones right? oh. did, did you do that one did you do the septic tank one yet? Yes. Well, oh. I did all of that in my the docket. I do the docket as well, which is a five-minute like wrap-up of all the crazy criminals that do go bananas during the week. Okay. When the, you know when there's not enough information for me to do twenty minutes on something, I put them all together in the docket. Did you, did they did you do the story though about how the same deputy who dug out the lady in the septic tank was also the guy that was the sniper when the divers went in to get the rest of the body with the alligators? No. Guy served two purposes. Yeah, they actually gave him accommodation the other day at the Martin County Sheriff's office. What do you mean he was the sniper? He picked off any wild animal that might go right, after he, the well, people? He stood on the bank, yeah, while the divers oh, were in. So in the event the alligator the killer is it's in the event the alligators came back and I thought Alligators sit at the bottom of the, the swamp. How do they know there's not one underneath them? Yeah. Those divers, I hope they get paid a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Because you could become easily gator meat easily oh. around here. This You see why we do Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast? Because it's just oodles and boodles. I got news for you. You went through the Everglades and you took out heat scanning stuff. I bet you you'd find body after body out there. Oh, yes. That's a terrible thing to say. That but. and the Gulf Stream. But that's all covered in How to Get Rid of a Body. 101 Ways. That's one of our first podcasts. Now, three, thank you so much. for. Four. I never thought about burying a body standing up in the it's ground. It's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of digging. But I wanted to thank one of our listeners who got to me on Instagram at Fulbrigger Podcast and messaged me, what about Murph the Surf? Murph the Surf, I didn't know anything about. Here he is. My name is Jack Murphy. Well, I call you in the they surf. They call me Murph the Surf. Murph the Surf. He just died last year. Oh, you're kidding me. I didn't know that. Recently, yes. Okay, this guy was a lunatic. Yeah, he had a photographic memory. He's very bright. um, Kind of a good-looking guy, blue eyes. Um, He looks surferish. He's he's from Calabasas or Calabad, California? Calabasas, yeah. Very Uh, expensive. By the way. Oceanside. I was going to say, Calabasas is a very wealthy neighborhood. Well, that's what the Kardashians love. Yes. Um, He became a surfing champion. Really? I didn't know he was a champion. Yes, that's the name Murph the Surf. So uh, wh- why why did he go so askew with his life? Well, he is a good question. And he was kind of enthralled and enamored by bad boy type behavior. Okay. And he liked getting chicks and driving cars and... and Murdering stealing, people. Stealing. Well, he, did, he ends up murdering people. That's terrible what he, he does. He was convicted of murder in 1969. Also involved in the biggest jewel heist in American history... It was the 1964 burglary of the Jewel Collection of New York's American Museum of Natural History. He also beat up Ava Gabor in a Miami hotel room. Come on. My hand to God. Ava Ava Gabor like the actress Ava Gabor. 
Yeah, I mean, this thing reads like a Hollywood movie script. How come they haven't made a movie about him? Because he just died, that's why. She was all bruised up, right? After he he and his friend, they were robbing people in this hotel, and they ripped her earring out of her ear. She had a bloody ear, and she had bruises all over. She went on Password the next week and talked about it. Come on. I'm a hand to God. Can you imagine? So uh, Murphy's also known as a surfing champion, a musician. He played the violin. He played, like, with orchestras. Well, this guy is multifaceted, Author, is he not? artist, but... Uh, he was a catch. Yeah, he's, he's really an interesting person. But um, he was born, as I said, in Oceanside, California, only child. His father worked as a telephone company lineman, and he enjoyed the violin and surfing. Then they moved to Pittsburgh when he was in high school, and then uh, he played with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. He won a tennis scholarship to the University of Pittsburgh. This guy was an athlete. Wow. He's an overachiever. Yeah. Well, in 1955, he moved to Miami. And that's he, where he went wrong. That's where he went rogue, because, you know, you come to Miami and everything, the wheels fall off. <laughs> he worked in hotels. Uh, he married this woman named Gloria Sostock. Bless you. you. Thank you. In 57, they had two kids. I don't know where his kids are now. They divorced in 62, so obviously... She he, got smart. Yeah. He remarried. He's been married multiple times, and he opened a surf shop in Indy Atlantic, because that's where the waves are, apparently are in Indy Atlantic, Florida. That is near the Space Coast, right? Yes, okay. right. Just near north NASA. of you. <laughs> yeah, it's not far from me, yeah. So he would go on to win Florida's state contest in 1962 and 63. It was a surf contest, and he was notably known for his nimble footwork on the board and okay. his skills of shifting directions. But one Christmas, he delighted Indy Atlantic because he dressed up as Santa Claus and he surfed a 14-foot swell in a Santa costume. It was... This oh, huge cool. surf. He started the first Santa surf contest. Who knew? Yeah. So this is him explaining what happened and how it all came to be. And it's kind of colorful, so I let it ride. It was during the Indian Atlantic Winter Surf Capades held in November. And my surf shop today is a pizza place there in uh, in the Atlantic. And Caddy Corner uh, on the same block, there was a bookstore that these two old guys ran. And they ran a cable over to my surf shop so they could play surfing music when the school got out and all the crowd was hanging around. And you know, they were on the Chamber of Commerce. And they said, hey, listen, last year we had a promotion thing for the city here to draw people in where they dropped a space capsule in the water. The divers went in after it and everybody watched this how they rescue the space capsules and they said but this year we want to do something else and how about if you would wear a Santa Claus outfit and would ride a wave in and we'll promote it as a thing for the community here and I said well it's on the same weekend that we're doing this big surf contest and unfortunately for a lot of the surfers the waves were absolutely humongous there had been a storm outside and the waves were coming in some of the great surfers of today couldn't even and paddle out at that time. It was so big. And I forgot all about this, but there was a huge, huge crowd. And then I look around, and here are police from O'Galley and Melbourne that are over there with police cars. And these guys came to me, and they said, listen, what about the Santa Claus? Are you going to do the surf and Santa thing? He said, we've got 3,000 people here on the beach. I said, well, pal, I said, you can hardly paddle out. The waves are so big and all. And it was like in the middle of the day. They said, listen, we've promoted this, and we want to get it going. So I had this red sweatsuit on and a Santa Claus hat and a beard and I put it in a baggie and I waited and the surf had gone down just a little bit at that time and we had 
the morning. We were waiting for the afternoon to finish the contest. And uh, so I went down and I waited and I paddled out. I put the bag between my legs there and I was on my knees and I paddled out. So I'm sitting out beyond the surf line and I'm putting this outfit on. I'm trying to put this sweat sweatsuit on. Well, now it's all wet. And guys that were sitting out there said, what are you doing? I said, look at the shore. It was packed. I said, I got to ride a wave in. And I said, so give me some room, guys. I said, if something comes along. So I got all dulled up there and uh, finally a wave came. I said, okay, I got this one. So I took off on this and it just worked out perfect. It was a nice, big, easy wave, but it was overhead and all. So I rode that thing all in and some guy ran out and grabbed the board. Some guy gave me a uh, pillowcase and it had candy canes in it. And then I just took the candy and I started throwing it up the beach and the kids were all running for the candy. And I made it up and there was a beach buggy waiting for me and it rode me right around the block, the main street that goes over to Melbourne. From that, that was November 1963. And what's your name? My name is Jack Murphy. Well, I call you in the they surf. They call me Murph the Surf. There you All go. Right. Now, when did he do that interview? Recently. Oh, so he got out of prison. Yes, that's, that's... How did this happen? I know, he's a murderer. It just gets, it goes on and on. By the way, to earn more money, he worked uh, with a world champion high diver, Burt Williams, who staged water shows for tourists at Miami Beach Hotels. Wow. It's, it's just so crazy. Crazy, weird. He goes on and on. He can really tell a tale, can he? Yeah. When did he go off the rails? Okay, well, he then got bored with what he was doing in Miami and with the surfing, and he got involved in the most notorious burglary on October 29th, 1964, at New York's American Museum of Natural History. And it was 24 precious gems, including the Star of India. That's that big, you know, the yeah. the ring that has, like, the star in it? Right, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. How did they rob the American Museum? Well, apparently, they would leave the windows cracked at night for ventilation. <laughs> there was no security, no nothing. This was called the jewel heist of the century. Wow. They stole the Eagle Diamond, which never was found. They think they cut that up in Littler Diamonds. And then the DeLong Star Ruby. By the way, check out my podcast on the biggest jewel heist in American history. It's episode 113. It's the jewelry heist of about, it's like another Hollywood movie script. The 2011 Provident Jewelers, in, remember this, in Jupiter? Oh, I remember that. Hit by a team of brazen jewel thieves who defeated their security system. They were in the vault for like the weekend. Wow. Yeah. What it, podcast was that? 113. So wow, check you did that many. But Murph Jeez. was not a part of it. Uh, so he cased the museum earlier, discovered that security was lax to non-existent. And by the way, he's got that photographic memory, so he could remember everything. The burglar alarm was non-operational. The halls Jeez. of 19 exterior <laughs> windows were left open two inches overnight for ventilation. They crawled through the windows, discovered that the display case alarms were non-functional as well. They sold the jewels that were worth about a half million dollars, but some of them... They were actually priceless, right? But they basically all got returned eventually. How stupid is this I museum? I know. This is what I want to know. It's they, like, they should pay the fine. It's like the Gardner Museum heist in Boston, yeah, remember? remember? Yeah. Same thing. It was That's just right. completely... And those paintings have never been found. Really? Yeah. Never knew that. So amazing. So in all, they pilfered roughly two dozen jewels, including the 563-carat Star of India Sapphire. Oh, which is the world's largest, the DeLong Star Ruby, and the Eagle Diamond. And later they were at a hotel bellhop, tipped police off to their erratic behavior because they like to party a lot. Huh. It's usually what gets you caught when you start spending the money that you just robbed. So. Right. Yeah. And authorities raided the room, laden with evidence, but absent the jewels and the robbers, they eventually caught up to him. They caught up to Murph in Miami. So after his burglary conviction, he was in Rikers for 21 months. He only got 21 months, though, yes. for that, that yes. robbery? Yes. Wow. So 
Yeah, and by then, you know, the sheen of the outlaw surfer was wearing off, so um, then comes the Whiskey Creek murders. So while they're in Miami, apparently Murph the Surf was working with these two women who were in California and something to do with a half million dollars worth of stocks. Okay. And somehow it ended up with Murph and this other guy on a boat with the women, and the women somehow ended up dead. Well, that's lovely. He says he didn't kill him, but apparently he did. So the loss of the stocks was not discovered until the two women quit the firm and moved to Florida. And shortly after that, the two women moved in with Murph the Surf. Oh, he was a charmer. Yes. So they knew him because they, was he going to fence the, the stocks that they stole? Is that yeah, how there that was, worked? There was something going on okay. with the money. And here's how the double murder went down. As Terry Ray Frank slipped under the brackish water, her part of her skull had been split open, her oh, abdomen split, a wire lashed around her neck and tethered to a concrete block. Tugging her down, she's trying to breathe. It's, you know what this is called? It's called... Um, it's, it's called a brutal murder is what it is. Yeah, it's called an agony. It's the body's desperate final agonal breath. <gasps> trying to breathe while you're underwater. And then her friend, Anna Lee oh, Moan, geez. 21, had they were motoring along on South Florida's Intracoastal Waterway. Their heads were then battered in with an oar. Moan's body was pierced by a bullet and their stomachs were eviscerated with a blade so that their corpses wouldn't rise to the surface. That was so gases wouldn't gather, right? You get gastrous and yeah, your body right, rises. Right. and you float up. So they ended like up in a, a mangrove. <laughs> exactly. Those two women reached their gruesome end after absconding oh. in November 1967 nearly half million worth of stocks and bonds, which would be worth about $4 million in 2020 dollars okay. from a, a Los Angeles brokerage firm. So, so they're on the boat with this guy Murph the Smurf, or Surf, whatever yeah. the hell his yes. name is, and his friend, and yet Murph says he had nothing to do with these murders. Well, he had to be a witness to them, right? Exactly. If, if I mean, at least, I don't know, it sounds horrific. Yeah. Well, it took the state five months to build a case and arrest Murphy and Griffin. Uh, his friend. Uh, in the meantime, Murphy and the crew attempted to rob Miami Beach socialite Olive Wolford. Do you know who that is? No. In early 1968. I mean, they just kept going. They just couldn't help themselves. They broke in and tried to burglar an upstairs safe, threatened to pour boiling water on her knees, oh my goodness. triggered the silent alarm, and that's when the police showed up. And in an ensuing gunfight, he fired his 45 at a cadre of cops, and then he jumped through the French doors, and the glass cut his face. So I have a picture up at Full Rigger Podcast on Instagram of him being arrested, and he's got all these bandages on his face. So then he was hauled away. Then he was in deep doo-doo, because by this time, he's got all these charges racked up against him, plus the double murder. Well, this guy is... What, but did they ever figure out what really made him go off the rails? Did well, he's he, like, gonna just ex- snap? He's going to explain that in a moment. So, really? Yeah. So <laughs> at one point during the ensuing jury trial for the murders, Murphy said he was insane. And then he said it was a ruse. He says that he played along with his lawyer's behest until a judge ruled that he was fit to stand trial. The jury convicted him of first-degree murder, earning him a life sentence. You're like, how the hell did he get out, right? Well, yeah, you just had the interview with him, so. Yeah, so then he was tried. um, He got 45 years for second-degree murder. And in the end, the panel of 12 Broward County residents, no doubt familiar with the local celebrity's exploits, recommended the judge spare him a trip to the electric chair. They call it the overworked electric chair. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Old Sparky was working on a daily basis then. But get this, one year later... Another judge tacked on a second life sentence for the attempted uh, robbery of Wolford. So this guy was in, okay? 
He He's was got all these in, light sentences. So how did he get out to do these interviews? Yeah. And so at the trial in Fort Lauderdale, evidence hinted that Murphy himself may have conspired with the women to steal the stocks as well. So he's he's a bad guy. But he could surf. But he and could, he was good looking. Uh, and he was charismatic. So he was subsequently convicted of the Woodford robbery, and they added 20 more years to his sentence. Well, this guy should have been, like, never seen from, ever, again. So, but then, my dear Jennifer Ross, Murph the Surf finds God. Uh, and he admits that he had some bad habits. I love doing drugs. It wasn't that I was a junkie and strung up. I loved the party. I loved the loud music. I loved the fast cars. I loved the babes. I loved the whole thing. And the thing was... Okay, I knew that the drugs were going to put me in trouble. They're going to kill me. I knew that the drugs were a dead-end street, you know. I knew that I had a lot of bad, bad habits, you know, that weren't, that weren't going anywhere. I'd been married a few times, and, and I had been around. I was a stuntman in the movies. I worked as an acrobatic tower diver, diving in, working with Barnum & Bailey Circus, and I played in symphony orchestras and nightclubs and all. But I knew that I had some real bad habits, but I, I liked them. Yeah. He liked him, but he found God in prison, and he knew it would take a higher power to change him. But it occurs to me, here's a white guy, blue eyes, good looking, photographic memory, really smart. He's found God, so we should let him out. And they do. you got to be kidding no, me. No, I... I'm like shocked. <laughs> if he's an African-American guy and he's found God, they're not letting him out. No, he's not going right? anywhere. Right? Am I right? Well, this is... He said it would take a higher power greater than himself to change him. I knew it was going nowhere, but I was captured. I was deceived, and uh, I thought that was it. I didn't know that a man can change. I didn't know that. I didn't, I, I, and I went for all those lies that you hear that, oh, you know, once a con, always a con, you know, and old dogs can't learn new tricks, and, you know, a leopard can't change its spots. You know, those are just common, stupid things, and so... I would listen to these guys when I was in jail and prison the first few times and they'd tell me why they couldn't make it. Oh, the parole man's dogging me. He's on my case. You know, you can't get a job. You know, you can't get an apartment. So when I come out of prison the first time, I didn't even try. I went and got a pistol and I went to work because I was convinced by these losers' lies, I call them. I went out there and I pushed that pistol. And I pushed that pistol all over the country. That's the mentality, though. When you come out, you're a felon, you can't get a job. So, you know, the recidivism is huge. He's right, you know. But he was sentenced to life in prison with hard labor. Whatever happened to the hard labor? It doesn't sound like he did any. doesn't sound like he did any prison time. How long was he in jail for, in prison for? 19 years in maximum security. I think they should bring back hard labor, though. Well, yeah, no, people would complain. No, that would be Eh, inhumane. They like like bad words. You can't do that anymore. Right. Bad tweets, bad words, can't do it. He was paroled in 1986 for good behavior and then devoted his life to working with inmates in the field of prison ministry. Oh, bless his heart. Get this. The Florida Parole Board voted to release Murphy effective November... 1986, some conditions of his parole included that he had to pay $2,500 to Meals on Wheels in Dayton, Broward County. Okay. <laughs> 2500 bucks. Where is it? Okay. All right. Then he began his prison ministry. He was a keynote speaker in Jerusalem during the first World Conference on Crime Prevention and Rehabilitation Through Religion. Let me ask you this. If this guy was put to prison and convicted in Polk County with Sheriff Grady Judd, do you think he'd be walking out? No. No. This is wonderful. No offense to Broward, but this is typical Broward. Come on, huh? 
They let this guy out. It was in 2012. He had a bid for clemency. He wanted it all erased, right? It was denied by the state of Florida. The former Florida Department of Corrections Secretary Louis Wainwright spoke on his behalf about the prison ministry work he was doing since his release in 1986. And according to reports, Governor Rick Scott was personally willing to restore Murphy's rights. Whoa. But he didn't have the additional two votes from the cabinet members required under Florida law. Thank goodness there was some common sense there. I still can't believe this guy got out of prison. I know. It's shocking. That's really quite amazing. Two murders, all of those... if that were you and me, we're still on death row. Uh, no, we wouldn't be here. Sparky would have been fired up and we would have been zapped. You heard what he did to those bodies. Oh, it's horrible. What did he do? They, could they never proved he did that to them? No, they did. He was convicted of it. Something's not right with this story. He had something on somebody. I'm sorry. It doesn't, it doesn't make add sense. up, does no, it? It doesn't make sense. By the way, Hollywood made a movie out of him starring Robert Conrad. Of course. <laughs> Remember the him with the batteries on his shoulder? It was, yeah, I dare you. Dare you to knock it off. <laughs> the title was Live a Little, Steal a Lot, starring Robert Conrad, released in 1975. I gotta go find this movie. Yeah, you gotta watch it. Somebody's, I'm surprised somebody hasn't redone it. Yeah. You know, Leonardo, well, no, he's not, he's not a murderer. Well, yeah, okay. It's such a fantastic... Javier Bardem would be a... Oh, I love Javier Bardem. I love, I do, but he always plays a bad guy. Oh, yes. No Country for Old Men comes to mind. I think he's married to Penelope Cruz. Is he? Yeah. So from the street to the business, from the surf to prisons, he encouraged people. He really loved people. And he says he didn't take life for granted. So he never got in trouble after they get him out, huh? Apparently not. He changed his ways. Wow. You know? He wasn't sure he any- wasn't one of my exes? <laughs> Did he have another name when he got out? I personally don't think... <laughs> Gotti. Uh, I personally don't think people can change their spot. Leopards can change their spots. I don't think people change. I don't think so. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Right? Yeah, they don't, I don't change. I have, I have two ex-husbands to prove that. Right? Right, yeah. I mean, good for you. You found God. So do many, many other inmates in prison, and right. they're still there. Yeah. The God pod does wonders, though, apparently. Wow. It's not me, not me. I would have left him in there to die, just rot. Right? Hell. He was not a nice person. No, he's a bad person. He's but, a bad. I don't care. He, conned, what, he was a great con artist. That's what, what it, it was. That's what it is. He conned his way out of prison. That's it. And that's the story of Murph the Surf. Thanks to Jennifer Ross for joining me once again. She'll be back. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so fun. much. Yeah, we had fun. And uh, make sure that you check us out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast and subscribe, download the podcast on any platform where it's available, which is all of them. And give us five stars, please. please. We appreciate it. But thanks for joining us on Full Rigor. Until next time.